Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Wampa Radio. It is a podcast focused on Star Wars Unlimited, and just like our boundaries, they are also unlimited. And that, I don't know if you can hear the uh, chaos going outside of my apartment there, as uh, apparently people are in a hurry to get the Gen Con. And uh, are <laughs> they have like a police escort or something? But there's a whole bunch of sirens and horns blaring outside, probably because they saw the the cool new stuff that's coming. Well, I can't hear them over the sound of my own sweating because I am still without AC. It will finally be taken care of when I get back from Gen Con, so I have that to look forward to. By the time we record again, I should hopefully be doing so from the comfort of not melting. But you say that, but let's be let's be real, like. If you were to sort of put an uh, uh, like odds on this, like what are the odds that it doesn't actually get fixed when you get home? Like, is it like a is it a two to one fixed to no fixed kind of kind of odds here? What are you what are you rolling on these? Never tell me the odds. That wasn't but. what I. <laughs> it's not what I wanted. No, I wa- uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know. I think the real concern is just whether or not they're going to get it done in time because they are not just doing my AC, they're also doing my furnace. So they're basically doing a full HVAC replacement and that is scheduled for Monday and Tuesday. So the days after I get back from Gen Con. So I think it will get done sometime that week, but there is a legitimate chance that they are maybe still working on it by the time that we're recording. If something catastrophic goes wrong, um and, and and it's me so i expect it well that's but that's kind of what i was alluding to i'm i'm choosing to be optimistic here well that's need- a rare choice that you <laughs> almost never make and um i i do i have a friend a good friend of mine that i've known for you know 10 12 years who is a hvac technician and he always sends me pictures of him on the roof of like various chipotles around uh the minneapolis area where it's like he'll take he shows me like the readings of the surface temperature of like the top of the buildings where it's like 125 degrees like on like the rocks or like the whatever it is and then he shows me a picture of the unit that apparently has not been surfaced in god knows how long where it's just covered in dirt and and you know the filters all clogged and he's like i wonder what the problem is either way he's like time and a half baby that's what we do and then the best thing is he keeps track of what restaurants uh give him free food after he goes and like fixes their stuff you know fun fact chipotle is the favorite restaurant of greek philosopher aristotle just just do your thing. Read the script, you <laughs> idiot, and just take us to... Today's episode, we will discuss the economy and concerns surrounding Star Wars Unlimited and talk about what to expect upon launch in 2024. First, however, we have more puns from me. No, just kidding. It's the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week. I, I have developed, like, an immunity to you like and (laughs) and i kind of want to create a herd immunity for when more and more people start listening to you be it voluntarily or whether you're shoved down their throats uh in various capacities that that being said i have the thick skin and it still seeps through because you are some forever evolving mutagen of 
puntastic annoyance that I yeah. I have known you for what four or five years. Oh, I think we're going on six now. Yeah, and it's just it, it you it it never gets better. You are an acquired taste, but but one which nobody wants to acquire. I don't know how to properly. I am the durian fruit of friendship. Oh God, yeah, no, <laughs> um, it's it's gross. I think that you're you're kind of like. I don't know. I don't even know what to equate you to. Like caviar? Like espresso? From the trailer park instead of anywhere. Seagull eggs? (laughs) Pigeon eggs? Yeah. Okay. Well, the Wampa Cave Poll of the Week um, was uh, submitted on or or put out, released into the wild, as it were, on uh, Sunday. And after three days of marinating, the question was, which of these astromech companions would you most want to have in your day-to-day life? And there were four options. Mm-hmm. Uh, the options were R5-D4, R2-D2, BB-8, and C110P, a.k.a. Chopper. Chopper. I know who you... Who you think you are, but who would you like on at your side, Charmer? Chopper, hundred percent. Chopper is the most ride or die of those options. And when I need a daily companion, right? I want something that is going to be like my pets, right? My pets follow me all around the house, and they're willing to get into shenanigans with me. And I'm convinced that if needed, my cats would murder for me. And that is also Chopper. Chopper is to droids uh, what cats are to humans or whatever, right? Like, that analogy doesn't work. The point no, is, it Chopper doesn't is just work a robotic at all. Cat. No, no, Chopper is just a robotic cat. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, it, I'm pretty sure that a it'll, cat... It'll if, knock stuff off your shelf and or it has no feelings about you living or dying. Okay, that's what I wanted to say, is I think that the analogy doesn't work the way you want to in the sense of loyalty and camaraderie, etc. Because frankly, cats are supreme assholes. Like, they're the worst. Yeah. And if you, if you die in your home today, Charmer, there's probably about a 12 to 24-hour period before they would eat you. Like, they would begin mm-hmm. devouring you. That is yeah. a fact, ladies and gentlemen. Chopper, um, I think that Chopper fits the analogy in the sense that, yes, he's a little bit of an a-hole, but he is also has a murderous lust about him. Because when mm-hmm. I was Googling, <laughs> okay, I Googled Chopper, and I just, all I wanted to know was his droid designation. And I just wrote Chopper space Rebels. Do you know what the first, the first, the number one thing that doesn't even, it's not even a link. It just appears in fat text on your Google screen. Do you know what it is? It's a, I, I do. It's a kill count. It is a disastrously genocidal kill count that is attributed to this homicidal bucket <laughs> 50,000 people and what's hilarious about that this is i started i restarted rebels like about a uh, 4 or 5 days ago okay and i it's so good it is very good i just passed the episode okay where they first encounter an interdictor star destroyer 
like a Star Destroyer that pulls you out of hyperspace and keeps you from jumping to hyperspace. I <laughs> I completely forgot that Chopper, spoiler alert, um, sabotages the system so that the gender like the gravity generating systems within the interdictor cruisers go on hyperdrive and attract all the surrounding capital starships which all collide in a spectacular fire and brimstone-esque yeah spatial disaster that frankly murders tens of thousands of people and he's just like thumbs up and they're like, oh, good job, Chopper, and away we go. Meanwhile, yeah. there are tens of thousands of families that are affected of this because this droid, the, all he needed to do was deactivate it. And what did he do instead, Charmer? Go ahead, tell him. Just tell him what he did instead. No, I mean, he, he sabotaged it. That's what he does. But- he, <laughs> he, listen, Chopper, this is why I, I choose Chopper, because I don't want him to be against me. Okay, well, that makes sense. If I'm, well, I'm going to have uh, one of these on my side, it's got to be Chopper, because I don't want him not on my side. I One of my favorite things to do, speaking of, you know, YouTube and Rebels and whatever, you can go and uh, there are some YouTubers that have done a wonderful job of uh, taking essentially every Chopper clip from across all of Rebels and put in the subtitles so that you can know what he's saying every time. And it's actually quite funny because he is also as much of a smartass as you think he is, 100%. The one like heartfelt touching moment is when he's talking to Hera about family. I'm not going to try to spoil too much for those who maybe haven't watched Rebels, but like that one is very sweet. But for the most part, He's also just a giant smartass, but to, I don't know. To me, it's kind of endearing. Right. I I love me some Chopper. Yeah, no, he's definitely... <laughs> he's a murderous bucket of hatred, and I get it. I get it. it. Like, I understand the logic of I'd rather be on his team than against him, and that makes sense. But he could have easily just deactivated the systems so they were able to jump to hyperspace, but he chose rather to murder... Uh, 50,000 people. That said, uh, here are the results. It is R2-D2, no surprise there, in the lead at 48.9%. BB-8 and Chopper are both tied at 23.4%. And R5-D4, the secret hero of the rebellion, by the way, at 4.3%. And why is he the secret hero of the rebellion? Because in A New Hope... And I did it in the meme, and I'm going to try to dig it out for everybody again. But it's the, uh, oh, no, uh, this R2 unit has blown, <laughs> has blown his motivator. Um, that was on purpose. Oh. That was on purpose. Canonically, R5-D4 conversed with R2-D2 and C-3PO. And R2 mentioned that he has to be. He has to be with C-3PO for the secret mission. And R5-D4 purposely blew his motivator so that the two can be together. So big ups to the real hero of the rebellion, R5-D4. Yeah, but the problem with R5-D4 is that he's not a war criminal. <laughs> I, I get it. Like, you want, like, the Pol Pot of droids. You want, you know... All I'm saying is, if your choice is Charmer, a.k.a. the droid with the bad motivator, or 
John Wick in robot form. Which one do you want on your side? <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess like R2 J Wick is probably the best option. Uh, I chose R2 yeah. D2. I, I want to, I want to, I want a short film that's Chopper on a murderous rampage because somebody killed his mouse droid and he's just going for revenge i would i would love to see that i would love to see that um the absolute body count the just this trail of destruction would be unreal i chose r2d2 because r2d2 to me um exudes all the loyalty all the 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 mission-based ingenuity and ambition uh as well as a little bit of, of you know, to me, he is the embodiment of what rebellion is because he is a droid that has sort of developed a personality, goes against, you know, orders, directives sometimes in order to do the right thing and pursue the mission. And uh, I chose R2-D2 also because um, he doesn't murder for pleasure. So yeah, R2-D2 is a dog and Chopper is a cat. That makes sense. Um, all right. There is your Wampa Cave Pool. Every Sunday, you can check out at Wampa Radio on Twitter and uh, contribute to these wonderful conversations that uh, I promise you, this is episode nine. Uh, We are now eight of nine episodes not talking about uh, genocide from uh, droid-based activity. So we almost almost want to pump those numbers up. Okay, uh, let's go to the headlines for the week there, Charmer, as there's a lot going on right now as we yes. at the 11th hour, actually. It's a good thing that we kind of recorded when we did, because while uh, about an hour prior to recording, we're recording this on August 2nd at uh, close to about 6.30 p.m. ish uh, Eastern times when we began. That said... Gen Con is this coming weekend, but at the same time, Fantasy Flight Games and the developers also released a stream so we have a, a steady stream of information but hit us first with uh, the number one thing that we're gonna as we parse through all the headlines of the week sure well i think the one that everyone's excited about is of course gen con the demos that are available i believe they now officially sold out all of their spots for the demos i'm thankful that i have one this weekend and i'm really looking forward to it so i'll be demoing the game on friday but As part of that, there is also the Gen Con exclusive promos, and we finally got a look at those. And I'm excited for this because this is our first time where we really get to kind of see what the examples might be for either, you know, special versions of cards, chase cards, alternate art, whatever, right? Because if you are somebody who's into trading card games, we know that yeah, there's playing the game and that part's important, but there's also got to be this collectability aspect where people can chase things that they're looking forward to. And so we have our first images of what these Gen Con promos are, and they are essentially like borderless versions of the uh, cards that we've already seen for Luke and Vader. And I, I know that it's just kind of the digital presentation right now, but they look really good. Like this kind of like borderless full art appeal to them is outstanding and i'm sincerely hoping that we get like this treatment for other cards as well and you could suspect that these are going to be foiled out i would imagine uh i could be wrong on that ultimately the full art looks pretty rad uh you can see there's a stamp on them they say event exclusive as well but yeah the exclusive luke invader promos are going to be available uh to anybody who signs up for the demos um which 
unfortunately leads us to our next little bit, which is of the 40 demos, they are all sold out, quote unquote, as I believe they were all free. Um, Yes. So this particular demo is free because they are not giving out product at this event. The demos is strictly an opportunity to play the game, but you don't get to walk away with like one of the starter decks or something, which makes me a little bit sad. I would love to get my hands on some cards, even if it was just generic starter decks, because I like to shuffle things up. I like that tactile feel of cards and I wanted to like bring some home and run through some games with my son. But uh, I'm still I'm still really excited to demo the game, even if it is just going to be a free you only get to play sort of thing. Well, that's, I mean, I get it. And like, there's other card games that are going to be doing stuff simultaneously that do have price tags on them because you are walking away with product. Um, One thing that I will say is as much as I am upset that I won't be there, you will be there. Uh, You will be uh, perusing around uh, Gen Con. You'll be partaking in this event. You'll also be, if I'm not mistaken, part of the FFG panel. Yeah, I I don't have the specifics yet about like what time that's going to be, but I have been asked if I would come on sometime on Sunday because Final Fantasy. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that one of these days. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games. Problem is, I've been playing way too much Final Fantasy 16 lately, so excuse me. Fantasy Flight Games, FFG. Uh, they're doing a live stream on Sunday, and they have asked if I would come on and talk about my experience as far as playing the game, what the demo is like, whether I enjoyed it, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, if you want to catch more of me, heaven help you, but I will be available on Sunday on the official FFG stream. That said though, all the demos are essentially sold out, uh, but you never know. Just keep, uh, keep your ear to the ground. I know of some friends of mine actually who will be there who like they would they basically checked on the site every hour or so and managed to actually snag a ticket because something magically kind of opened up so you can do that just go to the gen con website and um just filter by the game and and you'll make it happen but another little piece here charmer is the fact that uh, just prior to us recording this is that ffg actually demoed the game on a live stream which was pretty awesome I, i i didn't even know i was so busy running around today and i just randomly tuned in and found it and saw the game in action and it's it was just one of those things where you know when you're watching you know when you're watching your like little cousin play video games and you're just like just 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 give me the controller you're doing it wrong (laughs) like that's kind of how it happened i was like what are you doing like you shouldn't you're not attacking right, but I get it. It's a demo. You want to you want to show off the various aspects of the game and et cetera. I saw a waylay pop off on one of the new cards, which we're going to spoil soon, and um, a lot of that cool stuff uh, happened. But uh, I don't know if you caught any of it. But ultimately, just watching it happen, Charmer was really cool to see the the game. Frankly, in like you said, in that tactile form, in the actual physical space of shuffling it up and dropping it and tapping the cards and moving you know things forward and classic battle of luke versus vader it was pretty awesome i also am excited because not only did we get the demo but we got some new cards so i think we should dive into those but before we do we got to give credit where credit's due right so we did have uh, another content creator spoil this was from i believe strictly casual 
And this one was Vigilant Honor Guards. This is a five cost ground unit. The aspects are Heroism and Vigilance. It's a four six with the Rebel tag. And then it says, while this unit is undamaged, it gains Sentinel. So it's a fast stat line, double aspect of uh, Vigilance and Heroism. Um, a four six is just a good body uh, altogether. Typically, you know, four damage, six body is really difficult to push through. It's usually a two a two-pronged attack to get through. So, And the fact that it's got uh, Sentinel is pretty nice while it's undamaged, which basically means, like, this is a unit, I feel, that is going to be in a deck that is very protection-heavy, very heal-heavy, very much like, you know, given the given the rule set of you take an action, I take an action, this is going to be very much one of those things where they'll take an action, they'll, you know, faceplant into the, the Honor Guard, and then you might just be like, all right, well, heal them up. Like, sorry, they're back, and you can't get to the base. Uh, so I, that's my impression of what this card's going to do. The The conditional sentinel is just a bonus, in my opinion. But uh, at common, I think that this is just a good value common. So I think that the sentinel is less a bonus and more like a focus piece. I loved the idea of this card thematically because it reminds me of, like, a patrol and if you're playing against it, they're a distractible patrol. I like I like the idea of, you know, you throw a weenie at it and then they're like, oh, let's chase that down. And so they lose their sentinel ability because now they're focused on whatever it was that distracted them. Same thing if you have anything where you can deal one damage directly. And then I also love the idea of kind of like if you heal them, well then you're like, no, 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 go back to what you were doing. You need to stand guard, right? And so I can imagine scenarios where this kind of comes out in the gameplay, as you said, because this is a back and forth game. So when I do something where maybe I poke it for one damage or I attack it with a small unit first because I've got a big one that I want to get through, then my opponent might heal it up. And then we go into this back and forth kind of uh game of cat and mouse really where i'm trying to get damage on the base without having to deal with this thing directly and they keep forcing me to deal with it directly with the heals or things like that so uh, i do think that the sentinel is actually going to be kind of a key part of the way that you interact with this i also want to point out that this is a unit that works very well with the luke hero because one of the ways that you can keep it with Sentinel is by sticking shields on it, where then they can't even poke it to get rid of the keyword. No, that's a very good uh, point right there, is just, you know, just keep it protected and kind of build around it to a degree. Uh, I also like your description from a thematic point of view, because what pops to mind is remember that sort of little mini squadron of stormtroopers that han is like hold on i got an idea and just charges at them yelling and screaming like an idiot <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. and then they're no longer a problem right and you're right. able to uh, you're able to attain your objective which is kind of what this is it's like as soon as you're just like bah! you're running at them and then they're like they're they're no longer a problem so um, my only issue with this card is the fact that honor is spelled incorrectly uh, un um, unfortunately it's h-o-n-o-u-r for the rest of the world but uh, i get it it's an american game um, no excuse me this is just how it's spelled on coruscant and so we are gonna go with the galactic standard Sure. Not the Canadian standard. Whatever. Um, if next, this was a Hoth unit, it should get the U. But yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, next up is um, 
and the, the I'm super excited for this. It's uh, the Atsist. Uh, the A-T-S-T, A-K-A the Chicken Walker. <laughs> I knew you were going to just throw me uh, under the bus. It's a six cost. It's got villainy as its tag. It's a six, seven. Uh, the tags on it is Imperial Vehicle Walker. So Walker is now a tag that you're going to see on, obviously, I would imagine the unique, like the Tempest, uh, yeah. the, the Tempest Scouts, the Tempest AT-ATs as well as... Um, chuck norris uh i was gonna say uh texas ranger i was waiting for you to finish before i mentioned oh trust me trust me trust me trust me there's nothing i want more than an altar of an atat where it's just says it says atat comma cordell walker comma texas ranger and it's just him i think it's funny you want the atat i wanted an atst but i wanted it altered so that it's doing like a high karate kick (laughs) a roundhouse kick yeah. <laughs> just like just wasting an Ewok in a tree <laughs> just sends him flying into the other moon of Endor. <laughs> uh, what is that? That's no moon. That's an Ewok. <laughs> just attaining orbit. Um, it also has overwhelm. Let's just finish that. Uh, it also yeah, yeah, has yeah. overwhelm, but this is one hell of a card. Yeah, I think that this is just a big beefy unit it's the sort of thing that i think it looks very plain at first glance because it's just a pile of stats with overwhelm but i think overwhelm is going to end up being a pretty key ability when you're trying to close out games and so i could see several scenarios where this is kind of a, a top end for an aggressive deck when you know you come out fast you get a bunch of damage in and then as they wall up you say okay well now how do i punch through the wall well i just go over top of it right and this is a great way to do that it's also this sort of also kind of leads to the fact of what the other walker is going to look like because if if a chicken walker is a six seven with overwhelm can you can you fathom what like you know blizzard one or tempest tempest one is going to be like these unique i in my opinion here's what i i believe they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be the ground versions of what capital starships are going to be yeah. in space so to me, and uh, like a walker is like a is going to be like a a nine drop 10, 10 with overwhelm and then other aspects to it, like other keywords on it based on what it is. But those are going to be the behemoths. Those are going to be the fat boys. Yeah, and I would appreciate the interaction between some of those and another unit. I know it's not in order with the way you have it in the show notes, but I want to drop down just because I think it's the natural follow-up to the ATST. Sure. So another card that was revealed is the Snow Speeder. So this is a five-cost ground unit that just has heroism as the aspect. It is a 3-6, which I think is reasonable for a five-cost because it has a couple of effects. It has Ambush... So it's a 3-6 with ambush, but also on attack, exhaust an enemy vehicle ground unit. And then the tags itself, it has rebel, vehicle, and speeder. But this, I think, is great thematically when you think about, again, how they were used to combat something like the AT-ATs, right? So when your opponent plays this massive behemoth, what do you do to slow it down? Well, I can attack with my snow speeder and use the tripwire to wrap them up, trip them up for a turn where they're exhausted. So when you have them both on the table, and again, because the game is a back and forth scenario, if you are 
the Imperial player, you're kind of forced to attack with it first if you want to get that value or find some other way to ready it somehow, etc. But I just love the interplay between we have this huge monstrosity in the ATST, which is just raw stats and firepower, which is very fitting for Imperials. And then we have this kind of more clever snow speeder that's not raw power, but you can still get a lot of value with those interactions. So it has ambush, which means that it basically has haste or charge or whatever you want to call it. And you don't have to attack the enemy vehicle to exhaust it. You just have to attack anything. So there's a good option here where your opponent, you know, and again, you and I like to think of things from the cinematic point of view and how these cards can interact that fit within our sick fantasies of recreating, you know, the the movies. But the, the Imperials had the initiative in the Battle of Hoth. They dropped... They came in, they were like, oh my god, they in the electro binoculars like there's a there's an invasion happening. So they had the initiative. You deploy the speeders and you immediately counter by like and in the gameplay it's like they drop an ATAT. All right, well, I'm going to drop a snow speeder. I'm going to f- attack your base and basically cripple your your walker that can no longer attack well, or do anything. You can't attack the base because ambush requires a unit, but you could attack something small like a stormtrooper sure, or sure, going right, automatically, right, right? Like one of those snow trooper lieutenants that we've already had revealed. So the idea is, you know, play this, clean up something small while also, you know, wrapping up the ATAT. This this will reward uh, in in a vehicle based showdown. This will reward the the player that takes initiative essentially because if you have the initiative on one way or the other if you're the if you're the player with the snow speeder and you have initiative you just shut down their their vehicle but if you have the vehicle and initiative this means like okay well now i have the chicken walker or i have the you know the the ATAT the first thing i have to do is attack with it before it gets incapacitated so the first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to send it to shoot down the snow speeder like it, it creates these decision pressure points where just the existence of the snowspeeder changes your attack plan which frankly is what it did in the movies as well and uh yeah thematically and and all this stuff it's great to see a snowspeeder yeah i i'm just really excited for seeing the atats like when i stop and i think about it i'm on that same wavelength that you are if the atsts which are supposed to kind of be the the faster, more agile, get into the smaller spaces version of uh, the ground assault vehicles. If that's already a six seven with overall overwhelm, like what is an ATAT? Right? I just I want to see some big cannons. Well, speaking of big cannons, is they don't get uh, much bigger, at least from the handheld perspective, than what Chewbacca is carrying, which is a bowcaster. The card is not a bowcaster. The card is Chewbacca loyal companion it is a five cost cunning that kind of caught me off guard cunning and heroism he's a three six how the hell is he a three six um but i digress it's still an uncommon card so there might be a better version of chewbacca down the line he is a sentinel and his text reads when this unit is attacked ready him so I can kind of see why the stat line is a little bit digestible here because you attack with him, then 
he takes it back from somebody else and he just gets right back up and says, let's go cowboy and is, can attack again. Yeah, I like a lot about this card. I also want to point out the tags on it are Underworld and Wookiee, right? So this is not a Chewbacca that is a rebel or any of those things you might traditionally associate with him. So I think this is supposed to be maybe a Chewbacca when he's just with Han, maybe pre-Rebellion, which also might be why his stats are lower than a more powerful Chewbacca that we get later. But I do love this kind of situation where he's got sentinel because he's han's protector right so i think when we get whatever version of han it's going to be that you pair these two together and you're going to have some sort of uh, interaction where you want chewbacca to protect han but also because whenever he's attacked you get to ready him if we ever get any sort of uh, cards where you have triggers when you attack do x y or z it's going to be a fantastic synergy with somebody like Chewbacca where one unit might give you two or three attacks in a turn. Yeah, this is a thing where you want to get rid of him in one swing. You don't want to give him a second option to, again, his face is just... It's just... It's funny because I don't know if I want to just like be, be afraid or throw like McNuggets in his mouth. He does kind of look like a jack-o'-lantern version of Chewbacca. Yeah, that's that. I mean, like, I kind of want to give my Wendy's order, like, through the drive-thru into his mouth. You know, he he looks like a drive-thru clown a little bit. But again, um, he is (laughs) a... If you painted him purple, would he be Grimace? He would. That's what it is. He is absolutely Grimace. This is Chewbacca after drinking the Grimace shake. Okay, uh, friends who are more talented than us, if you're listening to the to us, please tweet at Wampa Radio or myself or Charmer with a purple Grimace version of this card, and we will, uh, we will, I don't know what we'll do. We don't have a giveaway this week. We'll, we'll jam one out for next week, and we'll figure out what we can do. Uh, maybe that's the giveaway. Maybe the giveaway is who can... Uh, <laughs> Who can do the silliest alter of Chewbacca with that face or put that face on something? Or just alter in general. Yeah, I, I like I that. I think I would want to leave it a bit wide open because I still really need this uh, roundhouse kicking ATST oh, right. named Walker, Texas Ranger. Damn it. Like, right. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Uh, one more card was leaked, uh, which was from the stream, which I don't think we got an image of it, but this is what was deciphered by the wonderful YouTube chat. It is 2-1-B, the medical droid. Uh, I don't know what the tribal or the taglines are. I would imagine it's a droid. Uh, ultimately, it's a one-cost vigilance 1-1 one, one unit that says, on attack, heal another character by two. Uh, none of this is confirmed for this particular one. That's why there's no image of the card itself. But um, ultimately, that's kind of what we got. Because I had to kind of... I was in and out of the stream. I didn't get everything spot on. So um, we did our best on this one. I mean, I think that that would be a a great addition to some of these Vigilance decks that we've seen, just simply because you want something that's going to be cheap where you can still heal and get some value. So when I think about the interaction with that Vigilant Honor Guards that we were talking about earlier that was revealed, that would be another way that you could do it. So I dig it. No, I think think you got it there. Um, Every time I see Vigilance, I just think of the magic keyword which is you don't tap when you attack and kind of throws me off because it's like a one one vigilance i'm like oh that's not bad that's pretty good 
But I think vigilance in this game might be the most broken possible keyword you can have where you just keep swinging. <laughs> until yeah. No, you can't have that. Uh, that's it for new cards. Again, we're recording this on uh, August 2nd. Uh, it's about 7.15 p.m. right now. So anything after this, we're sorry. But yeah. One, one, so we have new thing. cards. Yeah. But we also have new art. I was very excited about this one, Charmer. I was too. He's one of my favorite characters. So, so I uh, when I put out the Wampa, the Wampa Cave Pool on Sunday, I put it out with this character in there first and different wording to the poll. But I changed it because I didn't know. I, fe- I felt like this character f- was a little out of place compare like i was yeah. gonna swap out r5d4 for this character and then i was like well it's different because everybody i think would choose this character more over anyone well, maybe not you because you're a murderous psychopath but no, i mean that's that's why i, I like this character oh. <laughs> this is this is the non-astromech chopper uh sure uh ultimately here it is it's k2so and now we don't know if this is a character or an, a, an event or whatnot but ultimately this is an iconic moment in what to me is is very quickly becoming the best Star Wars movie ever made, which is Rogue One. And this, it's K2SO at the console during the time where he's basically holding it down. Yeah, it. I love this character, but it, it does make me a little bit sad because obviously this is when we lose our good friend K2SO. I could see, as you were saying, that this might not be necessarily the character card because we only got this revealed as art so this could be some sort of action where perhaps you are giving a unit sentinel until end of turn for example and they are now blocking the way so that you know theoretically your other units can do their objective right because that's kind of what k2so was doing in this scenario and i i don't know i just i hope we get a k2so we will. I, I want, I want one sooner rather than later. But yeah, I think like to me, this is if this was an event, it's a low cost event that says give a unit a shield and sentinel until the end of turn, uh, and I think that that's pretty cool. I don't know how that would be statted. To me, it's like a three a three cost uh, event or something like that. But if it is K two S O, I mean the dude is a Imperial security droid, right? Like that's he's his his whole life is law and order and smashing things you know i would love a k2so with the tagline of like congratulations you're being rescued or something like that where i i you know what maybe it's just a maybe it's a character that's a droid that's like maybe it's like a three four or something like that it's not overwhelming but maybe it has um a text that says if one of your other characters would take lethal damage you may sacrifice k2so instead to keep that unit to prevent that damage like that could be an interesting aspect but then again then that operates on the stack which i don't think would it will exist in you know one of the things that i'm actually very interested about potentially exploring and design space and k2so i think would fit this there are several times throughout the history of Star Wars films, TV shows, comics, etc., where you have units that impersonate the other side, right? Spies and espionage are all part of the Star Wars universe. K2SO, former Imperial droid, but obviously fakes being one at several moments. We have, of course, 
Han and Luke in Stormtrooper armor, etc., etc. Since this is kind of the first time we've ever had a Star Wars game where you get to play both sides. Now, granted, there are some detriments to doing so. We're paying the aspect tax and whatever, but we're not held to this standard of you can only have light side or you can only have dark side cards like we've had in the past. I think it would be kind of neat if we have units like K2SO where they have the Imperial tag, even though they're still meant for other decks. Like maybe K2SO's whole thing is that he has both the Imperial and the Rebel tag. And so when you play cards like Tarkin, you can find him. But when you interact with Leia, you can also get those benefits, right? I think that the more I think about it, where we have these things where we've got like characters that do impersonation or spying or so forth, we could have cards that kind of explore that um, as a mechanic. That's a really cool, definitely a cool thing. Again, uh, if you need to contact us, FFG, to help you design cards, we are all for it. I know that your second set is probably in the books, but we're here for sets three and four whenever you need us. That is it for new stuff again. Uh, well, as... no, it's not. Wait. Let me stop you right there, sir. What? We have new cards. We have new art. But we also have new members of Wampa Radio. Oh, that is new content. Yeah. We, that is new. We did tease it at the end of last episode, and I did get some messages from people saying, way to go, you schmuck ass. Thanks for leaving <laughs> us on the hook. The cliffhanger uh, was real. Uh, cliffhanger, a movie with Sylvester Stallone. Um, yes you mentioned you said parodied by ace ventura you said yeah it's true it was ace ventura 2 when nature calls which in my opinion is the superior ace ventura you may challenge me Uh, it was no no no. i i agree okay you got um you got agreement with me because last episode you made several references to over the top which was a sylvester stallone (laughs) arm wrestling movie now we have cliffhanger trucker Yeah, yeah god don't you know what? Waste your time watching it because you have to suffer with me knowing that it, it exists. That said, we have a new member of Wampa Radio. Um, basically, this is a friend of ours who uh, is just a Star Wars junkie, has other content out there regarding other nerdy things, uh, does a podcast with Monte Cristo, I believe. Yes, uh, currently. Uh, yep. Uh, that tackles all kinds of sci-fi and nerd-related content. But basically, this person, a friend of ours, was like, "We, I really want to be involved because I love this game, I love the IP, and I like your show. How can I be involved? And who is this person, Charmer? Eric Longquist, a.k.a. DOA. So if you're somebody who is coming from the esports realm, you probably know who he is. He's covered several of the large titles um, you may know him from like Overwatch League or others. I did see your kind of cryptic uh, "who who" tweet on the uh, Wampa Radio account. Says and the then owl, owl, but yeah. in all caps, which is a reference to the Overwatch League. You, I dropped you, little punter. I dropped uh, such clever little hints. Yeah, I know, but you're always giving me a hard time. But then I catch you doing it, so I that's know not a pun though. It. That's just sure. a cryptic message. Nonetheless, uh, Eric is a fantastic person, and he is also a big-time card gamer. So you might know him from eSports, as I said, but what you may or may not know is he has been playing card games like me since the 90s. Uh, when we were chatting, we were raving about both of us loving Aliens versus Predator, for example, as well as some other really obscure ones from that kind of golden era of the late 90s, early aughts. And 
as you said, he is a huge Star Wars fan. He is a huge card game fan, and we are happy to have him. I think that he is going to round us out very well. Yeah, we all bonded uh, a while back, basically, of our love for Decipher products and such, where we played Star Wars CCG together. And uh, I have received many messages from him over the the year or two that I've known him, where he would send me a picture of like uh, an auction or some sort of Facebook marketplace sale of cards. And he's it's basically says, should I do it? And, th- and it was a copy paste response of just like, yes, you idiot, do it or I will. Like, if you don't, I will kind of thing. But yes, Doa, a.k.a. Uh, Eric Longquist, will be joining the show um, starting on episode 10. Um, his presence on the show on episode 10 will be a big-time Gen Con kind of recap and, and, and discussion. Um, moving forward, he's not going to be a regular sort of host of the show. He will have a weekly segment at the very least, but he will pop in. Uh, from time to time to roll an episode with us and um and yeah that's that's the jam so welcome aboard doa we're we're happy to have you we love you <laughs> i tried to do that in my best k2so impress impersonation right where it's just uh congratulations we love you and congratulations you're being rescued that sort of feel do but- not resist yeah um, all right. So the main topic this week, Charmer, is one that was actually suggested to me by a listener. So thank you again for that. It is pertaining to the economy and the cost of the game, which frankly, I think is a big, you know, sour point right now for a lot of players from the seasoned veterans to the new players to old games and new games. This is a very important topic because literally as we are recording this, it is the day that Post Malone paid over a million dollars for the one ring uh, to to buy that one card. Now, obviously, that's an outlier. But at the same time, yeah. we are amidst a world or a realm where people are paying over three or four hundred dollars USD for a box of Lorcana, um, com- yeah. completely forgetting the fact that there is no first print, there is no first ed, there's nothing that is going to distinguish distinguish this print run from the one that's coming out in a couple of weeks. It's just people want it as fast as possible. So we want to tackle this topic as best as we can. Yeah, and it's... All right, I'm going to try really hard to not just get on a soapbox because I know that I have a tendency to be long-winded, but... We love it, though. Listen, I, I think say what you have to say. That's what we're here for. I know. So here's the thing. It is a bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, one of the things that you want for a game is for it to be accessible. You want whenever a new player wants to start playing your game for there to be product available that you can easily get in their hands so that they can play the game and hopefully get as hooked on it as we all are. Because if we're playing a game, chances are it's because we love it. And if we love it, we want other people to love it, right? Spread the joy, share the love, etc. But the problem is that if you print too much, Companies start to either lose money or they get burned and then they will scale back on future runs or for whatever reason, there kind of becomes this mentality in communities where if things are too cheap, then they feel like the game is dying. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. It's not always true, but there is kind of that feeling, right, where if there isn't any expensive cards, then everyone thinks like, well, it's not worth it for me to get into this game. I think ideally what you want is playables of your base set to be cheap and then your expensive cards to be 
alternate arts or chase versions of cards where somebody wants to kind of bling out their deck, right? So that's, I think, the ideal middle ground. But what you'll end up finding is that that's a lot easier to say than it is to do, which is why card games have struggled with it for a long time. We can look at games like Flesh and Blood, for example, where in the early days, because of the pandemic and logistics and things like that, all of those cards were crazy expensive, even just for playables, for staples. And that was mostly because they couldn't meet the demand. But that in and of itself is also one of those double-edged swords. It's good because that means people want your product. They want to play your game. But it's bad because other people also want to play your game and they can't get into it, right? The other end of the spectrum is something where uh, you look at a game like Pokemon or Battle Spirit Saga, which I just cast the Pro Tour event this past weekend. Those games are very, very cheap when you want to buy into them. Like you can play Battle Spirit Saga right now competitively for less than 100 bucks for top tier decks, just full stop. Now, there are options to bling your deck, right? There are chase versions and store promos and whatever. Um, but when I have mentioned this to other card game players and they look at the prices, they kind of say like, well, like, is the game doing well? Why is everything so cheap? Right. There's that that mental kind of weird association we have where if I'm buying cards and they're not going to retain or hold value, then why am I doing it or what's wrong? Right. We've kind of been conditioned to that in part just because that's the way it's been over the years. Um, so when it comes to this, I want there to be enough product in these early runs where anybody who wants to try the game can get their hands on it. We do not want a Lorcana situation, for example. But I also want to make sure that we have more cool things like these Gen Con promos where you still have a reason for people to be excited about opening your product outside of limited formats. I'm always going to open product because my favorite format is draft and sealed and whatever, but you still want your everyday player to be excited when they're opening something. No, you're spot on. Um, there's a delicate balance that needs to be understood. And I, it took a long time for me to not even just fully understand it, but just to come to terms with this as the reality, which is that card games are not, this is going to sound obscenely weird. Card games aren't just for people who want to play card games. Um, let me sort of parse this out a little bit here. Card games like comic books, like stocks in a certain thing, like the massive amount of stupid Funko Pops that people keep gifting me at Christmas. Um, I say stupid. I, I Every single one that I own has significance to some degree, or so I'll say when they gift it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, why do I have a Bob, like an Overwatch Bob? I don't even play that character. Like, I, same thing with Reaper. I never play Reaper. I don't know. Like, the the Spider-Man behind me with Venom, that one's spot on. I have a Yoda, uh, a Yoda one where Yoda's lifting the X-Wing out, out of the bog. I have that. These are great. Those are amazing gifts. It's a whole different thing. But the whole reason that you know, there's a whole other um, sort of side of the coin where it's a collectible commodity that people want to know that if they buy into it, they are going to potentially see an appreciation in value for a small portion of what they buy. Because obviously the commons are going to be dirt cheap. The uncommons are going to be dirt cheap. 
save for maybe like if this goes down the route of where like magic is for example where there are certain uncommons that are just amazing those will shoot up to five six seven dollars a piece it happens that said you have to appeal to those people in the same way that you appeal to the 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 player who just wants to play cards because they do cool things and they help them win games it is a it is a it was a difficult thing for my head to get my head wrapped around because in my opinion i came from the 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 same vein of i didn't have a lot of disposable income to spend on cards i still kind of don't i i genuinely don't so whenever i want a card i get the cheapest legal version of it because i don't care about bling but at the same time i understand that some people want the sort of the blinged out version of things. They want the vanity aspect of having the shiny stuff, the rarest things, because when you play them, it looks cool, especially if you're like, this is my deck, this is what I'm known for. Like in Flesh and Blood, look at Mara Faris, look at um, um, uh, Ethan Van Sant. Like these are people who are intimately linked to particular heroes, and as such, they play the most expensive version of every card in that deck, bar none, because they only play those decks, and I get that. But I like you, Charmer. Well, that in itself is is totally a sentence. Yeah, I was going to say, that's all, that sounds like a lie to me. Um, but I, comma. That? He said he likes me. <laughs> I, comma, like you, comma, Charmer, uh, another comma, um, want this game to be printed to a degree where, like you said, it is not anywhere within the gravitational pull of what Lorcana, what happened to Lorcana. And Lorcana hasn't released yet. It has already been, and I'm going to say this, as somebody who has a Lorcana podcast that I haven't, I have not published an episode in over a month because I am completely off that, in, I have no interest in that game, unfortunately, anymore. Um, that game's a, an absolute on-fire train wreck in terms of how they handled printing. What I don't want to happen with this game is short printing. I don't want this game to have the best decks be only rares and and legendary-esque style rarities that are impossible to find, you know? And Flesh and Blood went through this because any Flesh and Blood runs three Command and Conquers, a Tunic, all the legendary equipment. It is an expensive endeavor. And this is a game that I want people to play and not be hidden behind a huge price tag. End episode. Except for, except for unless you're playing Borvo. Well, Borvo's a different... You need... You, caveat for flesh and blood. Not every hero is expensive, and not every hero runs, you know, three Command and Conquerors or no. whatever. But most do. They do. But, like, the the issue with the, with this kind of thing is, like, you, can't, you have the right idea... And a lot of card games are now doing this, wherein some will get will get painted into a corner where the only way that they can kind of shore up the the price issues of certain cards is by offering reprints, and the reprints then become lower value. But at the same time, they also lower the value of what exists. You you have the right recipe, Charmer, and I think I really hope that FFG is doing this, wherein the chase items within the the game are not particular cards in the in the sense that that's the only way you can get a particular playable card if 
Han Solo was a legendary, and you needed three copies of him, and there was no other way to get Han Solo, then you would, it would feel so bad because that card would be a $70 to $80 card. That's kind of where it's going, and I'm just putting this against like the cost of what a Command & Conquer would cost. What you want to do is you want to make those, those legendaries be, like you mentioned, alternate art or cold foil or foiled out versions yeah. of them. Yeah, I will say I really like what Flesh and Blood has done in recent sets where a lot of their really cool chase stuff, they are just alternate art versions of something, but they are full art, foiled out, just exceptionally beautiful. So if you're not familiar, you can look up what are called Marvels. So the Marvel cards in Flesh and Blood are something that I really like. They're, again, just spiced up versions of regular cards. So if you need the regular version, you can go get it relatively cheap. And then if you want the really pretty version, then you're going to probably have to fork over some money. But I think that's okay, right? And I want... So like the Chewbacca that we were talking about that was recently revealed, I think that's a great example. It's a iconic character we all know who chewbacca is it's also just an uncommon but if you want to play with chewbacca that's great it's there it's available but then what if there was also like an exceptionally rare version of the exact same card and if you wanted to you know spend 50 bucks on the secondary market and bling out your cool uh han solo and chewbacca deck you could i think that's fine i think that's what you want to kind of sustain your market and like I said, I, I just want scenarios where when you are opening packs as a player, there's a reason to still be excited, but you also don't want to make it so that you open a bunch of packs and then feel like you got nothing out of it because you're only looking for, as you said, like these ultra rare legendary legendaries that are also playables, right? And that's the problem. So there's a reason why Death Star 2, the expansion set from star wars ccg are like 40 or 50 dollars a pack it's because in those packs they're like lottery tickets to find ultra rares which are luke and palpatine which are mm -hmm. incredibly playable super strong cards they're awesome i think that we are in an age now where all of the trial and error of previous card games is now finally honing down to a digestible way to appease and not appease but please collectability and or, or you know like the the collectors as well as maintain accessibility to cards because when you mentioned the marvels from flesh and blood you saw, i think that you you did them you you explained them but until you see them in person yeah. they are breathtaking cards they are full art cold foiled and when I say cold foiled, I'm not talking about the cheapo foiling that you see in a magic card or, or a standard normal card. These are almost metallic in terms of what they look like. They are full borderless art, double-sided for those particular cards, obviously. But they've done them for the dragons in Uprising. They did them for mm -hmm. um, the codexes in Outsiders. And they did them for the uh, figments from dusk till yep, dawn recently and then there's also some heroes as well so like i own the marvel version of bravo star of the show and the spanish bravo showstopper <coughs> oh, excuse me salute 
Thank you. Speaking of the Spanish, yeah, salute, salute. Um, so anyway, all this to say is that there, there's this happy median, I think, that card games have now achieved where the, you, the collectors will, will def, we have a friend, you and I, Andy Trong, who is, <laughs> who is the luckiest mofo. This guy buys cases of cards because he's like, I need a couple hundred dollars for this weekend. So he'll buy a case of cards, open whatever the hot, thing is in there flip the rare stuff in it for usually about a two or three hundred dollar profit and then that's what he does and what's funny is that he showed us the statistics because there's a game that tracks <laughs> that tracks your your opens like it's a digital game tracks your 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 loot box openings and they <laughs> they rated him as luckier than 98.7 percent of global players and i'm like yeah that's yes. that tracks that yep that tracks. If you've ever met Andy, like he just doesn't miss. Like I don't know how else to put it. We have an entire channel dedicated to just him opening stuff in a different Discord that you and I share because it's that consistent. It's actually wild. It's almost unholy because I get him. I like I. I said that he has. A, he it is a superpower. Like he has found. We have found yeah. a mute. The mutant gene. It is to Andy uh, opening cards. Uh, but yeah, that happy medium that we have found is, is I think, in the right spot right now where you're no longer hiding um, playability behind rarity. You're hiding vanity behind playability. Bling, uh, sorry, uh, behind rarity. You're hiding bling behind rarity, which is, I think, in my opinion, the best way to do it because the collectors uh, will will want to hunt for the chase card, you know, the, the one in 40 cases card, you know, they, they will want to open product or buy that card. They'll, they'll be able to do it. Whereas the casual player will not care, will likely trade like I do the blinged out cards that I open for the cheaper version plus other stuff to round out my collection. And then there's the people in the middle who are like, you know what? I want, I want the blinged out stuff for the this cool deck that I designed and I really like, or my favorite yeah. character. Like, don't get I me wrong. I was just about to say. Yeah, no, this is the next thing. Because if Han Solo has a Marvel version, you damn well know that I am mortgaging what I don't own to, I, I'm selling my 06 Corolla to get it to bling out a Han Solo and everything uh, relating to Han Solo. And I think that you're going to find that there's a lot of people that would be willing to do that for certain Star Wars characters, right? I think that your Lukes and Vaders and things like that will always be popular, but even outside of those, right? You've got people like me that really want a bunch of Sabine stuff or, you know, heaven help us if she ever comes back to being canon, but, like, if I get an actual Mara Jade, then I'm in. You know what I mean? So i i feel like that's just the way that they gotta go um and i hope that's the way they go i think it's a bit too early for us to know the impact but so far everything that they have said it sounds like uh, again this this is a game that has been designed for whatever buy card game players um you can see it in the card design itself the game design itself um templating organized play, the, the bits that we do know about it, etc. So I have to assume that they know where to land on this, I hope. So here's where I'm 
a little bit nervous, okay? Because on that Gen Con sign-up sheet, where you go and you sign up for the demos, which are all sold out and whatever. Yep. It says Star Wars Unlimited, whatever. And then it says first edition. And this is something that I truly believe is only harmful because living through the first edition kind of uh, turbulence that Flesh and Blood had, it was difficult. It was difficult, and for what I'm what I'm saying that if you don't understand, if you might not know what I'm talking about, is that a first print run will sometimes have an indication on it that it is different, that it is the first edition print, that this is the first wave, and collectability wise, this is the coveted product. This is what you right. want to have sealed. This is sometimes in these first edition sets where you can only get particular vanity versions of, of certain cards. And that can become dangerous because the consequence of a first print run is this, friends. There is a certain limited number of, of product that gets shipped out. When it has that first edition print, you now perk up the ears of scalpers because collectors are going to want it, players want it to play, but it is a finite amount. And usually it is like, what, like a, a 20% of what, of what Unlimited will be when it gets tossed out or printed out there, or, or maybe, maybe a little bit more. But ultimately, it is a, a much smaller amount. Now, what, had, what happened with Flesh and Blood, with first edition stuff, is that when the game got popular, which is in my opinion is is probably i think that star wars unlimited when it releases is probably going to be on par with flesh and blood in terms of popularity i think that that is a fair thing to say in which case the demand is going to be incredible in which case people are going to want cards to build decks to play collectors are going to want to have product stores are going to want to have singles Stores are going to run, want to run limited events, so they're going to need product as well. This is going to evaporate in a heartbeat, in an absolute heartbeat. On Podcana, which is my Lorcana podcast, I spoke with my buddy Brendan Patrick in episode two or three where we talked about allocation and market share. And we talked about this back in April, maybe, maybe May. And we basically warned people and said, if you think that you're if you're getting what you want, if you're ordering a case, good luck. It's not happening. You're getting maybe one box, and you're getting that box at two to three times MSRP. This we said this three or four months ago, and here it is coming to fruition yeah. because demand is going to just absolutely crush it. And what worries me, Charmer, is that they have that first ed so, tagline. So let me assage your worries massage them at first no assage let me let me soothe your worries the first edition thing that's on the gen con is actually something in that small print that's carried over from when you fill out your game description on the gen con website you have to list the edition of the rules so this is there because Originally, when people were wanting to create events for Dungeons and Dragons, for example, you had a bunch of people that like, I want to play second edition. I want to play, you know, three, 3.5, fifth edition, etc. So they put in a slot for editions, right? So 
when you enter your card game info, you still have to enter information and almost all of the card games will list rules edition as first and then unfortunately that carries over into the text like you'll notice for example if you look up lorcana events that will also say first edition but you and i also both know that they've announced there is no such thing as first edition for disney lorcana it's simply there because for other games where there are multiple editions of rule sets they have to have a way to differentiate it and they want that to show when you're just very briefly going through the events on like that little sub info because they don't want you to have to click into every D&D event to find the ones for the edition you want. You want to just know when you're glancing. So I do not think that it will be a Star Wars Unlimited true first edition. Now, that being said, I could be wrong. There very well could be a first edition, right? All I'm saying is, is that we don't know and I would not take that as like any indication uh, one way or the other. I think that it would be a bad news bears situation for people who want to play the game because ultimately it's it, it has only caused issues. Flesh and Blood got away with it, uh, or not got away with it, like changed their, their course. Yeah, they got away from it. Correct, they have from stopped it. doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had James White, the creator of Flesh and Blood, on my podcast, my Flesh and Blood podcast, um, where this was like a year and a half ago. And I grilled him about why you know about how this is a bad issue and he completely agreed and they had made not because of me but they they were in the process of making changes because the first edition situation was basically they're like yeah well you know four to six weeks after the release we release unlimited which is going to be you know littering littering the shelves and whatever and that's a, a dangerous thing as well because from a retailing perspective or sorry, from a player perspective, you, if you want to compete in tournaments and you don't buy the inflated prices, you can't play in those tournaments. You'll be outclassed because everyone's going to have the new cards and whatever, or the cards themselves if it's the first run. But from a retailer perspective, I have a lot of friends who own shops. I have a lot of friends who mm -hmm. uh, who place orders for stuff from distributors. You, you as well. We know the same people. Um, they always tell me about how the horror stories of this kind of stuff, because they the distributors also can strong arm these LGSs and say, oh, you want first ed? You want first edition of Spark of Rebellion? All right, well, for every box you order, you have to also commit to two boxes of unlimited, knowing for them that they're probably not going to sell all that unlimited. So they're like, all right, you want 100 boxes because you know you're going to spend 100 boxes? Well, you got to buy 200 boxes of unlimited. So the store is on the hook. And that's kind of the greasy aspect of distribution and, and, and such, where the distributor kind of, you know, uh, uh, sort of pressures the, the retailer to say, you want this stuff, you have to buy the sort of the, the tail end of the meteor as well. Which is dangerous. I mean... It is, it is very dangerous. Some would, some would say it feels bad. It does feel bad. I know what you're getting at. I know that we're approaching uh, <laughs> we're approaching the uh, the danger zone. Um, one thing I just want to while we wrap up this whole economy thing before we get to the mailbag, um, what will also affect this and why I really hope and frankly am and I, I'm kind of confident that FFG is going to know about this is that this game was built for limited in mind. Therefore, they are they need to understand that for an LGS to run limited events, they need an abundance of product to open and run these events. 
that's how stores sell their product and get rid yep. of their product is they run events with prizes and players will go and that's how they kind of burn through all this excess product. So with the fact that limited is going to be a very popular format in this game, FFG needs to print the daylights out of this just so that stores can have a stock that they can lean on if they want to make uh, want to run events because you know, Harry Tarantula here in Toronto doesn't run limited events for Flesh and Blood anymore because their distributor didn't give them enough product for certain things because of what I talked about earlier. It's it's just a it's a really crappy situation, and that's one thing that I really, you know, and, and again, I have no collectible aspirations. I don't care about the bling and whatever. So to me, it's like print it to the moon, make it as cheap as possible. I just want to play the game. But yeah. I also understand the other side of the coin. I also really hope that they have very good introductory products. So starter decks, two-player kits, etc. And not only do I hope that they print those to the moon so that when somebody comes into their store and, you know, and says, I want to play Star Wars Unlimited, what do you got? And they can say, here's the, the kit. I want to see those things on the shelves at like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, right? When you've got your family walking through all the gift shops, like, that seems like such an easy sell. Put it right next to, like, again, I got a deck of Sabacc behind me uh, on one shelf. I want right next to that Star Wars Unlimited. Here's your starter decks. Take it home, kids. Learn how to play. I got to ask you this. Do you want to see this game in the big boxes, like uh, and Target, Amazon, Walmart, all that other stuff? So th this is very difficult for me. I do want to see it there. I think that it is good optics when you can put this next to a Pokemon and a Magic, and we know that those are in those areas. But I don't want that to be the the focus, right? I do think that when you want your game to be played at local game stores, then you need to support them first. What you don't want is your local game stores to get one-tenth of their product, and then all of the rest of it goes to your Walmarts and your Targets and whatever, because then what you're saying to the stores essentially is, well, we still expect you to run events, but you're not going to get any of the benefit of selling the product. Everyone's going to go to Target, buy all their stuff, and then come to your store. So what's the benefit of the store, right? I really believe in supporting the local game stores and that system, because it's not even just about the product. It's about community building. You want to create safe spaces for players. You want to create places where if somebody does want to pick up your game, like one of the benefits to the local game store versus like a Walmart is when you walk into a local game store and you want to try out a game nine times out of 10, there's somebody there that you can ask and they'll be like, Oh yeah, I like that game. Here's the way that it's played. You can ask and answer questions or, you know, they can tell you about other decks or ways to interact with it. You go to Walmart or target or whatever, there's nobody there. And if you take it to a cashier, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. They're gonna be like, I, I don't know what's going on. You know, at Walmart, it's probably like the greeter who doesn't even understand Star Wars, let alone card games. So I, I do want it there, but I want it to be not a lot of the product. I do not want that to be the focus. I just want it to be like enough so that you can see it on the shelves. Um, but that's it. Like I, I want the focus and the heart and the soul to still be at local game stores. But I just, I think it would be such a miss to not have it on the shelves next to a Pokemon or whatever. And I definitely think it would be a huge miss to not have it at 
Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at the theme parks, you know, when you're doing the walkthrough. At least the starter kits. Yeah, slam, slam to me, it's like sl- you slam those um, those two player introductory kits in the big box yeah. stores. Maybe a couple of blister packs like on a on I a was rack. just about to say two player two player stuff, and then you want the hanging blister packs. Yeah, and but, that's it. But let the LGSs thrive. Let the LGSs that support the community that run the events let them collect the income off of uh, off of the success of this game. Frankly, I mean. I, I've been to so many LGSs that were amazing. I've been to a couple duds and, and forgettable ones, but ultimately the one thing that I will say is that they are the ones that drive the culture and they yeah. are the ones that need this kind of support. So I don't know what the, the distribution situation will be. I know that Lorcana is going to flood all of these big box stores. It's basically just, you know, where... Yeah, <laughs> I will say, based on what we've already heard from FFG... I think that, again, they have said the right things. I think that their heart is in the right place because when they talked about their casual model for organized play and they were highlighting the fact that, you know, you can get credit for participation stuff just by showing up and hanging out, building a deck, helping to teach the game to new players, right? You don't have to show up and play to be considered part of the community participation. That tells me that they understand the thing that I was saying, which is, when you have a local game store, you are doing more than just selling your product there. You are also kind of creating local experts and local uh, people that will allow new players to understand, you know, the strengths of the game and want to buy into it and, and so forth. And so I do think that at least what they have said so far publicly regarding the casual play system, that they know what's up. Don't give in to scalpers either. There's... Lorcana is I can't get off the fact of how much of a donkey show that is uh last question for you before we go to, the, go to the mailbag what do you want a pack and rarity uh rarity tiers to look like oh that's a good question uh so this might be a bit of a hot take but what I personally want is uh packs that have four rarity tiers right I want common uncommon rare And then I don't care what the fourth one is, what you call it naming wise, right? Legendary, mythic, Marvel, whatever. Um, But I want that fourth tier to be the one that's rare. Um, Maybe one per box, maybe one per case, whatever. I would lean toward one per box just because it feels good. I, I think of like cold foils from Flesh and Blood, where even when you get the common one, there's still like that you know, hey, you know, if you're all drafting, right? And somebody's like, hey, I got the cold foil. Like, even when it's a common, you still care enough to say out loud, hey, I got the cold foil, yeah, right? So it happens all the I time. Would, I would lean towards, you know, one per box, um, but I want that to be whatever the chases are and not to be limited to just that. I don't want a situation where you have like fables in flesh and blood. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, these are cards that might be like one per every four cases, and that's the only way you can get them. And so if you want to play with them in your deck, uh, Heart of Findall is a great example. You're forking over four to five hundred bucks for that card, period. There's no other way to get it because they printed it in this fable slot. So I would personally like just straight up common, uncommon, rare. And then the fourth one is the chase cards, which are existing cards, but in a new, shiny, exciting fashion. That's what I want. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit with you, but with little modifications, like to me, a pack is like six commons, three uncommons I want, um, or however much it is, 
but I want common, uncommon, rare. I want the majestic slash mythic tier, which is to me one in four packs. I think that's one in five, one in four, one in five packs is to me the right the right sort of mojo. Um, and then I want uh, the the rarity tier that you're talking about. The one in one per box is that chase kind yeah. of alternate. I also want a foil per pack of varying rarities like however they're seated but to me again i think that card games need to come off of the the whole um, playability hidden behind rarity well so hear me out this and i know that this is why i said mine might be a bit of a hot take so the reason that i just want common uncommon rare with one rare per pack is because of the limited experience as somebody who plays a lot of limited I don't like scenarios where if there is that, you know, majestic or mythic or whatever that you're talking about, um, I might open my three packs for draft and not have those and feel like I lost my draft because somebody drafted a bomb or whatever. Right. So I think that if, you know, there's still always going to be people with better card pools, you know, there's no way to get around that when you have randomized packs. But I think that mentally what you do is you create the scenario where players will feel like, Oh, I lost cause I played against the guy who had two mythics and I didn't open any. And whether that's true or not, it might just be a skill issue. It might've been something else entirely. I don't think you want that to be the mindset. And so that's why I'm personally a big fan of just common, uncommon rare. Somebody got crippling crushed in a draft. That's what happened to you. Didn't, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but I'm the one doing, doing the it. crippling crushes. The last time I drafted... But I, I, and that's just it. I don't want them to say you only won because you got crippling crush. I want them to know that I won because I'm better than them. <laughs> I get you. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, the last WTR draft that I did for Flesh and Blood, I was on Katsu, who's a ninja. My pack three, pick one, knowing that I'm passing left and knowing that the guy to my left was Guardian, uh, I opened a... Uh, red, there was a red sink below, which is probably the ultimate insta pick, no matter what. It is a brilliant card to have, which is, it's a common. Um, and there was a crippling crush, which is a guardian exclusive card. And of course I took the crippling crush because I didn't want to have to face yeah. the crippling crush. And, and I told him afterwards, I passed him the card. He's like, because I remember after that whole thing, he saw that there was a blue, a red, red sink below in that pack. And he's like, what did you take instead of a red sink below? And I showed him and he's like, you bastard. He's like, I didn't even think that you were on guardian. I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm like, but I know you are. So suck it. Yeah. <laughs> that was all it was. Well, and here's the beauty of Star Wars Unlimited. In that scenario, you would have been able to play the crippling crush. For nine, but it doesn't matter because we're doesn't doing matter. It. Doesn't matter. And you know what happens? When you're facing an opponent who pitches nine and moves Bravo forward and says, activate Bravo with seven floating, you say, I got a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I've got a bad feeling about okay. this. Quiet. Whoa. That was my segue, Charmer. I took the reins yeah, I on know. that one. I know. You took it. I took it. So in you which case. You took it. That's okay. You, 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 you want to do it? You can do it. No, 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 no. I got to let you have it. That was good. <laughs> Thank you.
As somebody who's played a lot of crippling crushes in my time, I'll allow it. You and I are both Bravo, uh, like Guardian people. I think at least Bravo. But I mean, I, uh, to me, you are—you've moved on to Assassin. Like you're an Assassin I, player now. I I do love Usuri. I mean, I still have Bravo sleeved up, and I still play him. Um, I don't think I'll ever get off of him until he hits Living Legend. But I do really enjoy Usuri as well. And I'm looking forward to figuring out who my leader is going to be for Star Wars Unlimited. So, again, if you're not familiar, Flesh and Blood, you pick a hero and you build your deck around that. And so that's one of the reasons I'm so excited for Star Wars Unlimited, because it's a hero centric game. And I can't wait to, quote unquote, be a main for something. Right. Don't know what it's going to be yet. I think out of the ones I've seen so far, my favorite might be Krennic. Oh, but I knew it. You know why yeah. I knew it? Because I can honestly see you and I squaring up against each other. And then no matter what I play, it'll be like, you'll be like, Rebel Snowspeeder, really a man of your talents. And it's like, damn it, stop (laughs) saying that over and over and over again. And then as soon as, if you win, you will be there and you will say, we stand here amidst my achievement. And I'd be like, (laughs) throw you into- He has so many good one-liners, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's he's oh. like the uh, Mitch Hedberg of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, he kind of is. He's got some good ones. Uh, okay, so uh, we've got some submissions to the mailbag. Again, thank you so much for submitting. You have a question, you can uh, tweet at Wampa Radio or just get in touch with Charmer and I. The first one is from Trexter at Trexter D saying, as a former Destiny tournament player, I would be interested in what you guys think of the organized play for Star Wars U and what it will look like. The games I've played on Tabletop Simulator were really quick, like 10 to 15 minute games after we got used to the system and the cards uh, with the cards that were revealed so far. What's your take on this? I suspect that games are going to be a traditional best of three with likely a sideboard. Uh, I will go on record now. Again, I know this is a hot take and I'm in the minority. Uh, I don't like sideboarding uh, for games. I'm actually anti-sideboard because I think that it is often... The existence of a sideboard is used as a crutch for bad game design often. I think that the sideboard was originally created for Magic because Magic had some inherently bad early game design cards that were very, very swingy. And they were trying to shore that up because they made this mistake of we made cards that are too swingy. So what do we do about it? Well, we give people a sideboard to try to make up for that in games two and three in this best of three. And then unfortunately, because of the success of Magic, what's happened is every other card game since then does what most others do. They stand on the shoulders of giants and they try to emulate what works. But the problem is, is that from a design and conceptual standpoint, that only exists because what they were originally doing wasn't working. So I am usually anti-sideboard as a whole. Uh, If you do have to do it, I like the way Flesh and Blood does it, where it's a best of one, but you pre-sideboard. So you're still going into it with your deck is what matters, not because here's the other thing. Not only do I think it's a crush for bad game design, but I also don't like scenarios where you sit down and you're just trying to get to games two and three as fast as possible because you've already decided game one doesn't matter. I think that's just a bad player experience. I don't think you want that. So uh, that all being said, again, I know I'm long winded. This is my soapbox. I do think we will likely see a best of three format with probably some sort of sideboard because, again, the games do feel like they will be pretty fast. Uh, I think that that's a good sweet spot, though, 10 to 15 minute games. If we were to ever get a digital client, uh, and I'm not saying we are, but if we were ever to get one, I think that that would be uh, great, right? 
where most of your other digital card games that are not Marvel Snap are in that same boat of somewhere between, you know, 10 to 15 minute games. And then as far as like the other organized play stuff, they still are going to go over it more extensively later, but we've already seen the graphic. We kind of know what to expect. I think that you're going to be playing locally for a bit. We're going to have these store championships, and I know that they have those kind of in that casual area, but I still think that will be part of the puzzle. And then you're just gradually going to go up in scale in terms of the importance of the event, the size of the events until we get to something akin to, you know, pro tours and so forth. I think that the format of best of three is what it's going to be because of what you said, Trekstor, which is the 10 to 15 minute games. But you played with a very limited card pool that has very limited kind of comboing and, and setup and whatever. It's just a lot of it was just creatures with, you know, um, a keyword here and there and very minimal events. To me, the events are what usually dictate how long games can potentially go uh because usually if you snowball a board then that's kind of where it's over this isn't a situation like magic where you attack face and you assign blockers you get to choose what you're attacking so that's why the games typically go faster uh just to sort of talk about what you mentioned regarding magic i think magic needs a sideboard because 40 percent, 35 to 40 percent of their deckers lands and well, it's it's that, but it's also you, know, you look at the early games of Magic where you've got cards like Red Elemental Blast and Blue Elemental Blast, where you can literally pay one mana and blow up a, a Shivan Dragon. It was way too polarized, right? And similarly, like you would have cards like Terror, where it's like two mana to blow up anything, but then suddenly your opponent's in a Black Mirror, and like between that and Dark Banishing and everything, you've you've got like twelve dead cards in your deck, and so you're trying to go to game two and three where you can get those dead cards out. But again, I think that that only exists because those cards were, in my opinion, bad game design to begin with. I do like uh, a best of three. I do like a sideboard. I'm hoping that that's what what happens because to me, it's not about how my deck operates. It's how I need to prepare for what the meta is. It adds an extra layer of anticipation and prognostication in terms of what you're going to be up against. So it it's... It's a skill set in itself, and I, I have been heralding this as a uh, trainable skill for how to become for go from a good player to a great player. It's sideboarding and that kind of meta analysis. That's how you make that that jump to become a better player. That 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 in itself might be an entire episode that we can do about talking about how to improve your gameplay. But in terms of what the OP I think is going to look like. Um, I think it's going to be a best of three. Like Charmer said, I think there is going to be a sideboard. And I think that the sideboard will probably start with 10 cards. I don't think it's going to be that big. Because what the sideboard is designed for is that's where you put your silver bullets. And you have to draw them still. And, you know, I think a 10 to 15 minute game might be on the shorter end of the spectrum. I think games will probably average to 15. They'll be between 12 and a half to 17 and a half minutes the high end will be 20 minute games in which case if you can't get three games done in an hour you're probably you're 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 playing poorly your deck is built poorly or your opponent is equally as inept as you are make sense i just need to know how many minutes it takes to build and fire the Death Star. <laughs> I know. And then I'll tell you how long my games are going to be on average. Um, somebody actually <laughs> made the remark, I believe it may have been on our in one of our YouTube comics, saying that 
the seven cost event to cheat out a, a, a unit, they made the very astute observation of this is how you circumvent paying the aspect tax. Possibly, yeah. Which I think was a very, very good point. And I yeah. want to credit the right person, and I really apologize. I don't have it in front of me. But if you said that to me, you are a smart mofo. Yeah, the non-heroism uh, limits that a little bit. But absolutely, if you are playing a deck and you are on aggression, command, and villainy, but you've got a really expensive cunning card that you want to include, then this would be another way where you can put it into play without necessarily having to pay the aspect tax. Now, you are paying for it in health, right? So, like, that's the other part of that card that's still... I don't know. I look at that card and I have so many questions that I want answered. But yes, that is another great way to use it. Next up, Charmer, what do we got? So the other question that we received was from Board Play J. And they asked, can you talk about the possible specialist groups like saboteurs and spies? In Star Wars, there are groups with special skills. Also, what similarities does Unlimited share with the FFG board game Rebellion? So this is a two-parter. Uh, the, the first part, I do think that we are going to see a lot of units that thematically are tied together by their kind of specialist set of skills, right? Uh, I think spies are a great example. A lot of your spies are going to have saboteur. Uh, when we get, you know, an Andor card, for example, I would not be surprised if that has saboteur, et cetera, et cetera. I think that similarly, you're going to have a lot of cards that have Sentinel when they are either guard patrols or guardians. So when you think about some of the Jedi Knights that have historically been protectors, it also makes sense to me, for example, that the Chewbacca we got has Sentinel because he is kind of a guardian of Han Solo in many respects, things like that. Uh, I do think that at some point we might get other many tribes that have some sort of shared either keyword or ability or something. So I kind of hope at some point in the future, we get the ability to make like a, uh, a Jawa swarm deck and maybe they all have something that works together. Right now for the other part, um, what similarities does unlimited share with the FFG board game rebellion? Uh, there are a surprising number of similarities at first glance. But it's not that surprising when you understand why they exist, because both of them are trying to emulate the Star Wars universe. So where they share their similarities are, uh, you know, space and ground units. And you've also got locations uh, when you're playing Rebellion. There are characters that are unique when you're playing Rebellion. Um, there's, there's a lot of these things that when you are creating a game to emulate uh, an intellectual property. There's just some like tried and true ways that you can do that, whether it's a card game or a board game. Um, so I do think that, you know, we do see some of those. You don't lock yourself into one side, right? So when you're looking for differences, uh, Rebellion, you're either light side or dark side, essentially. You're the Empire or you're the Rebels. Um, also, at least right now, we don't know of any way where you can play Star Wars Unlimited as a team. So when you play Rebellion, I believe it goes up to four players where you can have a two on two. Uh, I would love to see something like that in Star Wars Unlimited, some sort of format. And I'm crossing my fingers we get rules for it. But as of right now, we don't know. So there are also 
I think some obvious differences as well. But I think all of the places where, you know, you look at that and you see the similarities, it really just comes down to the similarities exist because those are great ways to emulate the Star Wars universe. So I've never played uh, Rebellion by FFG. So I'm going to just defer to your judgment on that. And I think that that's perfectly fine. Can you talk about the possible specialist groups like saboteurs, etc.? I think that what we have seen, I think that it's going to be more more so like guilds in magic than it will be like tribals in magic. Because there's going to be taglines like or keywords like spot like saboteur, etc., whatever. But I think that those are going to basically be very much owned like you mentioned by certain kind of units. Like you said, like the, the traditional spies of the rebellion, like the Bothans and Andor and, um, you know, ro- the Rogue One characters, etc., will likely have that based on the fact that, hey, they are, in fact, saboteurs. Uh, that's what they do. And, like, they are spies. Uh, much like um, Gruel and Magic is a very aggression-oriented, big stompy trample stuff that breaks face and... Demir is very much of manipulation and, you know, denial and stuff like that. Those are guild identities, whereas in magic, it's going to be harder to give identities maybe to... You you immediately think of, like, aspects and, and such. So I don't think that there's going to be as strict adherence to things like saboteur uh, and keywords like you may want board play J, but I do think that there's going to probably be uh, that in assess- in association more so with like um, the aspects. Like we know that vigilance, vigilance has a, lo- a lot of the vigilance cards. I believe have restore. So restore to me feels like a vigilance oriented, um, you know, uh, a vigilance like. Like it, like it's like in magic, you know. Red is direct damage. Uh, black is like is destruction and killing. Uh, you know, white is, uh, I don't know what it is, life gain and and whatever. Blue is denial and card draw. Red, you know, green is big creatures. Like there's it, that exists and how you mix them together, you create these kinds of things. And I think that's what's going to happen more so with aspects and less so about what the taglines and the tribals of those cards are like. An Imperial is not always going to have, I don't know, a raid or whatever you want to associate with it. However, a particular aspect combo might be more inclined to have it. Yeah, like Overwhelm might be more so in villainy, right? Like we just got the ATSD and it's a villainy card and it's got it. And it might just represent like the might of the empire. Not saying it won't show up on other cards, but we would just might see that more there than anywhere else. And like you said, restore might be mostly on vigilance. We might see um raid on something else. I, I think we're gonna see a lot of the like card draw stuff in command because I, I suspect that's gonna be kind of meant to be your tactical whatever you're just searching for the right tactical option to get you out of any situation and we've kind of already seen some of those cards that work that way or or intertwine Um, but yeah i think that you're correct i think that the aspect identity will probably come up more so than some of the others 
There you have it. That's the mailbag for Wampa Radio. The Bad Feeling Mailbag is now closed. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate all of your submissions. If you'd like to ask us a question, including Doa, I guess, on next week's episode. If you have a question for us, you can do so by tweeting at Wampa Radio on Twitter. At Myself is at Watchflake. And then there's at that charm 3R. And uh, we do lurk around the Discord channel, the uh, Star Wars Unlimited Discord channel. You can find us there. You can at, you know, like you can mention us there, um, you know, send us a DM or whatever. It's always great to hear from you guys. And I do also want to take uh, an opportunity again to ask you all, whatever platform you are listening to us, be it Spotify or Google or Apple Podcasts or whatever, please give us a five-star review. It is very important for us, the algorithm and all the other nonsense uh, in, in this world that we live in, that the system, the overlords, know that you like us because that helps us in droves. So, And Charm yeah, already knows that I like him because I mentioned it earlier. Don't forget to smash that like button, hit the subscribe, turn on alerts, send us smoke signals. I don't, I don't know how the YouTube thing goes, but... Yeah, I don't know either, but... Um, it is always lovely to hear you guys, and uh, I'll take that last opportunity here to once again say thank you for the ongoing support because it's it's immense and we feel it, and it's great to just have discussions about what we love and the fact that you guys are on board with us. It just means the world. So thank you for the ongoing support. Here and always. Here and always. Charmer, my friend. Yeah. Hit us with it, baby. May the force be with you.